0: It's time for Democratic Perspective, brought to you by the Verde Valley Independent Democrats, a weekly talk show about the crucial political issues facing the Verde Valley, Sedona, Northern Arizona, and the nation at large. Join us for a stimulating, thought-provoking discussion. You'll get the facts as we focus on the challenges facing everyone. Good morning, folks. Steve Williamson here. Democratic Perspective is going to be 10 years old in April, mm-hmm. and I'm not sure we'll survive the year, but if we do, <laughs> <laughs> if we do, this time next year, we'll be about 11 years old, 11 years on the air. Um, Hava uh, Derby is here in the studio. Hava, you want to introduce morning. our guest today? Because I think we got a really interesting topic, particularly uh, for folks in Yavapai County and, and the Verde Valley, um, also Coconino County. Um, Go ahead. Holly. Yeah, well, we've got uh,
1: Ross Benish on, the author of Rural Rebellion, and uh, he goes in deeply into uh, his home state of Nebraska and watching what happens with politics, with um, voters uh, in this modern age of what's happening with rural voters. Um, and I'm, I'm given a very uh, a light description of the book, and I'm really excited we get to dive into this as it uh, uh, kind of pertains to here, our, our rural area, Yavapai County. So, uh, Ross, welcome
0: to the show. Thanks for joining us this morning. Oh,
2: thanks for having me on the show.
0: Um I've got to say, coming from, from rural Oklahoma, or a small town in Oklahoma, I had, uh, a, much of the same experience that you a- had, and your book really resonated with me, and your, your article. Um, you, you, uh, I'll, I'll tell the story. My brother went to back after many, many years to a high school reunion. He met all these old friends. They all signed up to be on Facebook together. And he had to all defriend them because they were violent <laughs> Trump supporters and um, passed around racist cartoons and stuff like this. Um they're you know they 're good people they 're the same people as before, but the politics had diverged, and so my my brother had a lot of trouble talking to them and i haven 't been back as much as he has but i over the years i I understand you live in Brooklyn right yep, so you go from Brooklyn to Nebraska. I used to go from okla- Oklahoma to Manhattan, and what it does is it gives you this kind of dual vision of a, of America so can you tell us a little bit how this the, uh, this fracture between urban and rural uh, developed, and what do you think the causes of, of it are?
2: Yeah, you know, it, it's um, just continued to get more fractured over my lifetime over, over the past thirty years, and the political parties themselves, uh, you know, have really targeted the voters based on their geography. You know, on, on the you know the Democratic side, they've become uh, dominant in cities and that's what they've talked about is issues that affect cities more so and republicans um which are you know losing voter share constantly have honed in by doubling down on the rural areas and, and appealing to to people who live in these sparsely populated areas and i believe ways they've done that by is um Rallying people against the government and, and being perceived as being anti-government, that we're going to be the party mm-hmm. against government. And, um, especially in the last few years, it's been, you know, the, the immigration debates and, and taking a hard right stance there. Uh, what I don't track in my book is how even within the Republican party, just 20 years ago, um, their stances on issues, um, like immigration or, um, you know, federal support for ag and, and some of these other big government issues, weren't what they are today. They, that party has taken a rightward bling, and and people there identify as Republicans, so they've That's gone so far to the right as well.
1: And what also the religious perspective. You know, you have oh, a, there's, a yeah, there's definitely
2: a religious mm-hmm. perspective. Yeah, the book's first chapter is about abortion, yeah. because of the religious perspective. Um, you know, the churches became more involved. And in a small town... Church isn't just something you do on Sunday. It's a big part of the community that brings you together with people, and there's all these other events with it. So when the, politi- when the pulpit becomes more political, that of course has a influence, and uh, that's why Republicans have, you know, really hung on to the abortion issue because they get so many Christian voters in small towns right, it by a claiming issue. to be pro-life.
1: Mm-hmm. So do you think that the Republican Party's made a you know, a real effort to, to monopolize on that? Or do you think it's just kind of been a natural fit with the, with the ideology of the Republican Party that the, you know, the Christianity... Well, I think
2: they've of- made a real effort. You know, I, I, I think they're more closely coordinated with churches than, you know, the, the Democratic equivalent. I, mm-hmm. I know there definitely are some progressive churches out there, but Republicans are, are very involved. Um, in, in Nebraska, uh, even though our Republican governor um brought back the death penalty, he's still a guest of honor at the Nebraska Bishops Conference, for mm. instance. You know, that's just one anecdote. But you, you see that throughout denominations and throughout the US where if they if the Republicans, you know, support some culture war issue, whether it's uh gay marriage or abortion rights, um, they're really championed by the preachers and um it's like a synergy between them
0: so this is a lot culture war in your your opinion i it it kind of goes both ways i remember when i lived in manhattan uh the east side was republican and the west side was democrat and uh that's just sort of faded over the years that i was there and pretty much um everybody became a democrat and uh, I remember walking in front of a famous delicatessen on the West Side and somebody was passing, I think it was Bush uh, uh campaign literature, and a woman walked up to the guy and said, this is the Upper West Side, what are you doing here? <laughs> and I think you get that same feeling in in rural Nebraska, Oklahoma, and all the rest of the, the Midwest.
2: Yeah, I think in rural Nebraska it would be very difficult to go and evangelize um liberal causes of today. Like if someone was going to hand out, um, black lives matter literature or, uh, something about the, the green new deal, I think they'd be shooed away. They'd be, what are you doing? This is rural yeah. Nebraska. You know, we're, we're, we're conservative or we're, a uh, Republican. Um, the, the divide has become starker even just since I've moved to New York in the last, uh, six years. Um, I think, I also think something I, I didn't mention right off the top is, uh, the digital platforms like Facebook have only, uh, worsened this. While you could theoretically keep in touch, like you mentioned, your brother keeping in touch with, um, his friends in Oklahoma on Facebook, but then you, you know, you see all this radical stuff, uh, getting so much, um shares and likes and being boosted by the algorithm that that becomes the perception of the other side and then it just, uh, you know, we become like caricatures to each other, and I think it makes it harder to talk to people who differ from us politically.
0: Mm-hmm. When I see really vicious stuff, uh, Ross, I kind of would like to go and ask the person, do they really mean this, or are they just passing something along and it, it's just a part of their personality, or they do they really mean to, you know, to pass along a racist cartoon? Is that really what they think, yeah. or are they just angry about everything?
2: Well, what's so frustrating, though, with with those platforms and, and I, I've seen this um, with uh, progressive excesses of in, in Brooklyn, too, with friends I had is the most uh, ridiculous things that are shared. Get more eyeballs to them, mm-hmm. like the most uh, radical statement, like people being against interracial marriage coming from the left, even something like that, or, or this racism you know, coming from someone on the right that will get all these comments and people clicking on it. And all the people who have mild stances um, who or people who don't post, they they get lost in there. You don't see them as much. Mm-hmm. So, like, the the sensible person who doesn't engage with any of this isn't represented on those platforms. I, you know, I, I can't answer whether or not that person's serious sharing that terrible cartoon, but um, what I can say is that Facebook, and this has been shown in numerous studies, something like that cartoon... Will be more incentivized because it'll get more reach right. than if if you just posted like I don't know like I had lunch at the deli today the Reuben sandwich was great
0: <laughs> you know
2: I, I, that that post doesn't get the shares
0: yeah yeah so part of it is is you know the wa- the modern world and our modern media are amplifying it even if they don't intend to and. But even back in the in the '80s, when I went back and forth between uh, uh, New York and 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 Oklahoma, the divide even back then, uh, Ross was seemed pretty pretty extreme. Um, the absorption with uh, in Oklahoma's case with these radical uh, preachers who were you know would save you and also um, cure all your diseases if you just sent them enough money. That was the most – yeah, I guess the most regular uh, violation. But things had changed. The whole ethos changed. Now, a lot of it you're talking about is sort of cultural. So I'm in a small town. I don't even – there's a small, say, African-American population, but I don't have any much interaction with them or they are not going to argue with me. What – how did these dynamics get going? I know that's a you know a difficult question, but why is the small town rural perspective so different from the urban perspective? Or what are you, what do you see as some factors?
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Well, uh, you, you mentioned um, you know not having a diverse population. I, I know myself when I lived in a small town in Nebraska, I was very strongly against. Uh, illegal immigration, you know, and I'd say it's there in the name, it's illegal, you know, everyone needs to be deported. And that was just kind of the default opinion that most people in town had. And I think it was easy to have that opinion when you're isolated and you never actually dealt with any right. immigrants mm-hmm. who would be affected by something like that.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, it was just like a theoretical, uh, I'm supporting this law because it's a law. Um, in a city where, you know, you have all like immigrant-run businesses and you become, you know, that you form relationships with them, they they live in your apartment buildings, that law is going to be interpreted much different because then it's going to be affecting human beings who you personally know. And I I think that that's one thing. Um, So, you know, that's why appealing to the far right on immigration has been effective in small towns is because I don't think in those areas it's clear how immigrants can benefit your community. Um, And then another thing is with In a rural area, people have this perception of being Mm -hmm. self-reliant. It's something that they, like, take pride on, um, whether it's getting help from their family or just doing it themselves. They don't want, you know, outsiders helping them. Even though rural areas receive a disproportionate amount of federal funding per capita, uh, that isn't what they uh, like to tell themselves or how they perceive themselves. So everything is viewed in this, like, anti-government lens. Unless, of course, it's, like, ag subsidies that boost their local economy. But but otherwise, um, you know, regulation intended to um, control banking or, or protect the environment, those are just automatically thrown out by people who are distrustful of the government in general. And um, I think part of the reason they're distrustful is they've just seen their town wither away and, it's easy to place the blame on the government for why their schools are consolidating and their towns are shrinking and their children um, you know leaving the state once they graduate college so there's just a lot of things that go into it that when you live in those areas um, the way you 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 view um, liberal policies is just much different than when you're in a you know a, a growing city
3: mm-hmm.
1: and Ross you, you I, I heard you talk about how only since Trump have the big cities, you know, had an interest in the rural areas. Like suddenly with the election of Trump, we got to see a little more spotlight on the rural community. Can you talk a little bit about that?
2: Yeah. I mean, I don't if I would have pitched this book eight years ago, I don't think anyone would have published it. Mm. So um, th- that was definitely something that led me to write the book, too, is just seeing the different reaction before and after Trump, like before Trump. Being out here in New York, being from a small town in Nebraska wasn't that interesting. And and now it was like people ask all sorts of questions. They wanted to learn more. They were fascinated. How could someone support this man?
3: Mm -hmm.
2: And you you saw it in the press coverage too, like the New York Times just running a a ridiculous number of articles where they would go to some, you know, community in the middle of the country and write about uh, why they backed Trump. You know, it's, it's what spawned the success of Hillbilly Elegy. Um, Mm, mm -hmm. progressives in in coastal cities just flabbergasted by what happened and they tried to make sense of it and um, that's led to this uh, increased focus on why are Democrats losing so many voters in rural areas that erosion had been happening for a while but until you had that like drastic punch in the face um, it it was easy to not focus on it And, and now after Trump I feel like they they had to because he, he you know the rural areas is what gave him the election really in 2016
0: mm-hmm. yeah when i when i would go back from oklahoma to new york and try to talk to people about what was was happening there i mean again like i said there they people were polite to me but they they didn't really get it and didn't really care and there's this famous cartoon which has a picture of New York and then as you look all the way across the country it's just nothing there until you get to the Rocky Mountains and then there's nothing there until you get to California and
2: um that's pretty well, accurate I think for people's perceptions out here.
0: <laughs> yeah, it, it is it is one of the one of the dangers and the truth is when you when you live in in New York you learn to, you learn that People can be friendly and good. You, the the Palestinian guys who have the little bodega on the corner, you get to know them, and they're they're nice to all the kids. And the, the Bangladeshi guy who sells fruit on the corner, you get to know him. Um, you live in a really multicultural um, environment. I, what I saw, Ross, I don't know if you've seen it. There was a study that said that you know the people who had very mixed communities of all different kinds of people or African American American. They weren't really worried about these issues. It was the people one step away from where all this in integration and mixture was taking place that were the, the worried ones.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think that's correct. I mean, it's like, just to give you an anecdotal example on all the congressional districts except for one where the U.S. touches um, the southern border, they did not want the border wall. Um, they were against it. They, they were for uh, immigration reform. But the North Dakota, <laughs> which is, you know, touching Canada, uh, their, their state house passed a resolution saying that they supported Trump's border wall. You know, and if there's any state in the United States that isn't greatly affected by my, you know, migration coming from the south, it would be North Dakota, but that was important to North Dakotans. So I'd say we're more than one step removed.
0: So it's an idea of of immigration rather than than as much the facts. I mean, I I do think that you know the liberals and conservatives are going to have to uh, compromise on immigration issues, but it's it's more this image uh, you're saying, Ross, really than than the reality of. of People there because I I look at uh, Arizona and you know, uh, there really is almost no conflict whatsoever between uh, you know, uh, Latinos and and, and the rest of the population. Mm -hmm. Would you bear me out? I mean, there's just absolutely. People in 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 North Dakota must think there's this terrible fight here, or this everybody doesn't get along. And in truth, oh, I'm
2: sure North Dakota politicians are using states like Arizona to say, "Look what's happening here," right. you know, without actually considering if, you know, people in Arizona um, view it as a bad thing. You know, uh, Arizona, Texas, these these states um, to the south, I'm sure, are propped up by Republicans in, in, in states like North Dakota.
0: Well my my father was from sort of west texas and he grew up and he grew up uh speaking both english and but he he also spoke spanish because so many people in the household and the community uh, spoke spanish and um he used to say he spoke three spanishes one from from growing up uh, where he did one from school and another when he lived in the philippines um they're just i I get the impression well I know from the old days that that the border was pretty porous and people were going back and forth freely and uh you know even in cities that are now very dangerous like Juarez, none of this communicates to the republican part of the population right I mean howa yeah. they, they don't get it
2: yeah well, yeah, you know, and when I was in Brainerd, I didn't think much about how immigration policy had changed over my, or, or over the last hundred years or, um, you know, how there were, were a few restrictions, you know, back in the day. Um, but that historical context was never put to you. It, it, it was more what was immediate and, and what was um, being talked about at that moment, which was um, – you know, purging illegal immigrants because we were, um, you know, a town that was enraptured with the Republican party. Mm Um, a lot of, uh, nuance that was lost that, um, I didn't really, you know, learn much about until I like went to college and and lived in a community much different than the one I grew up in. Um, and a lot of people, um, don't ever leave. You know, I, Mm -hmm. I went to a big town in Lincoln, Nebraska, Lincoln, a large college, and then I went to New York City. a lot of my friends never left my hometown, so you know they they're still receiving the same messaging that um I received when I was in high school they've, they that's all they've ever known
1: and it doesn't it doesn't uh breed progressives for sure i mean it it's no seems, it does not <laughs> mm-hmm, yeah
0: i, I had the same experience i mean the, those of us gosh, when I was growing up in Oklahoma, which was a long time ago, a third of the college graduates left the state immediately because there wasn't the kind of work uh, they needed there. And there's this divide between the people who are happy, like in my hometown of Claremore, and satisfied there, and the other people just went off all kinds of different directions.
2: Uh, and that's been a problem for, for Democrats. Like, you know, I, I, in Nebraska, brain drain, um, we have one of the worst rates in the nation as far as, college graduates who leave the state compared to the number of college graduates who come in. We're just hemorrhaging them. I'm, I'm an example of it. Um, you'd be an example of Oklahoma brain drain. And um, those people tend to lean Democratic, um, young people who just came out of college. And when you have few of them compared to other states, it just drags your state further to the right.
0: What I see Oklahoma and Nebraska having in common is they don't have – Strong urban centers that that rebalance the the voting from Republican Democrat or um, cause the vote. So the 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 uh, Nebraska has some great cities. I I, don't, I haven't spent much time yeah. there. They're, they're wonderful cities. They're vibrant. They're filled with all this cultural stuff, and so does Oklahoma. But they're a very smart. Part of the population, and there are some states where the urban areas begin to kind of define things. But in the, in the states that remain so militantly Republican, uh, that's not true. The, the urban areas where Democrats seem to find voters, and they now find. Wealthy voters. I mean, when, you know, when the Upper East Side begins to turn Democrat, I don't know, maybe the world's going to stop moving around. It's (laughs) it's a a big change.
2: You know, Democrats, uh, in in low population density states, they can't just run up the margins in cities. It's just not enough. Uh, Yeah, Nebraska's only got two cities that are like over 50,000 people. So um, Democrats do win there, but that's not enough to pull the whole state. And, and it sounds like that's what happens in Oklahoma too.
1: And, and how much of an influence do rural voters have on, you know, more up ballot elections? I mean, we know that uh, rural America helped vote Trump. Um, yeah. So what's kind of their their uh, influence on on politics? Are they a big voting block? Do they tend to vote?
2: Yeah, they are a big voting block, and you know, in many states, they tend to be older, which uh, correlates with um, higher voting turnout. Uh, Those areas tend to be much wider, which also correlates with higher voting turnout. So they um, have, because their turnout is higher, they have a more proportionate influence than what their um, population alone would suggest. So, uh, like, in Nebraska, um, our governor and our U.S. senators will lose in our two largest cities, but they'll still win statewide Mm -hmm. easily Mm -hmm. by double digits because they win the rural areas. And and that happens all throughout the Midwest and, and in and several states in the South, and they have a, a huge impact on um, the Senate because of that. Yeah. I mean, the Senate's 50-50 right now, mm-hmm. and there are way more Democratic voters uh, than there are Republican voters in Senate races. But it's those rural areas that have pushed, the, you know, so many low-population states um, to Republicans. So this has a huge consequence aside from just the presidency.
0: Uh, yeah, I think that's something that that Democrats have to face is that the Electoral College, the um, the way the Senate is structured, all the rest of it is is definitely against them. So you have California has two senators and Wyoming, which has got uh, what four hundred thousand people, has two senators, and California has thirty six million people. The um, Dis- difference between the vote and the actual population, and the way that the that the the government structured is very much in favor of conservatives and Republicans in a rural areas. That's aggravated, at least here in Arizona, um, as you may have may know. Uh, uh, Biden carried Arizona, the first Democrat since uh, Bill, Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton. Yeah, mm-hmm. and. That set off violent response from Republican legislatures who control both legislature. And um, Ava had uh, uh, texted me about all these bills that are going through in, in Arizona to kind of limit voting, mm-hmm. to keep yeah. people from voting by mail, to keep the, the period that you can vote lower. In Georgia, it's
1: illegal now to pass out food and water to people standing in line waiting to vote.
0: So that's that's one way Republicans are holding on the vote is manipulating yeah. the system more and more, and as they become at, at a kind of demographic disadvantage, they tend to manipulate and suppress the vote more and more because that's the way they can stay in well, power. Well, they've said
1: out loud that zero sum game; they you know they'll always
0: lose if it's fair. You know.
2: Or, and it's also redistricting here too. So yeah. That's another thing to consider.
0: Mm-hmm. Y- yeah, we simply don't know. Um, What's going to happen with it? Here in Arizona, we actually have a redistricting commission, which is really fairly unbiased. Or we have one Republican, one Democrat, and one independent on it. So it, it tends to be fairly fair, not super oh, fair. That's but
2: great. Because a lot of states that don't – I mean, Nebraska, it's just the Republican-dominated legislature redraws the districts how they want.
0: Right, and they'll draw them so that they're to, to their advantage. Now, this has always been some of this gerrymandering, but what's happened is with, with the advanced statistical analysis and stuff is, is you, can, you can draw a, a map, a gerrymandering map, down to a single house in a neighborhood. You can take a you take a map and wrap it around the, the the voter that you want, and then skewer out of the neighborhood to another one. It's it's become extraordinary in the ability of of both parties. The Democrats don't use it as much, but particularly the Republicans yeah. do because they sort of have to. I think, Ross. Well, yeah, any party in power will
2: be tempted. Though the I mean, Democratic Democrats in Maryland um, gerrymandered, you know, so significantly that that. Challenge made it all the way to the Supreme Court a few years ago. But, uh, Republicans do control more state houses, so they have a disadvantage, they have an advantage there. Um, and part of the reason Republicans control more state houses, too, is that, um, that urban voting, I mean, that rural voting block that we discussed earlier, that that affects down ballot, too, because of so many states, um, even if their districts are supposed to be proportioned by population, they'll have a history of geography playing a factor, too. And so, um, you know, districts in the hinter regions of the state tend to have fewer people in them, but still have the same, you know, number of representatives. So a rural vote, even within a state, will often count more. Like in Nebraska, if you live in Cherry County, big rural county, um, your, your vote has a uh, bigger effect on electing that state legislator than someone in a, you know, Omaha district where the person is only representing like two square miles. Um, and and that just uh, exacerbates the gerrymandering because these things are all happening simultaneously.
1: What are your thoughts, Ross, on, you know, we're talking about this two-party system. What are your thoughts on on where we go in this great divide? Are we talking about a third party? Are we, what are your thoughts on, on, you know, on this great divide we find ourselves in?
2: Yeah, you know, I don't think a third party will be um, reasonable anytime soon, but there are a few reforms that I, I think could bring some sanity. Uh, one of them is if we had more races with ranked choice voting and with open primaries, mm-hmm. um, you would see occasional third party candidates resurface because there wouldn't be such a penalty for running as a third party because you wouldn't be penalizing um, the person who you're closest in ideology to. Because with ranked choice voting, Getting second-place votes from uh, an opponent is very beneficial. Right. So it's not, it's not zero-sum, um, and that would allow for more moderate candidates so you wouldn't have this, like, extreme binary choice. And then open primaries would, you know, take some of the party apparatus out of who advances um, to the general election. And then the other thing, uh, this, this isn't available in every state, but something that gives me hope is ballot initiatives. Um, In Nebraska, there's been several ballot initiatives where people have worked across party lines to pass things like expanded Medicaid, um, increased minimum wage, capping payday loan, interest rates, because it was able to be put on a ballot um, without having to have a party name on it. Um, The tough thing with ballot initiatives, though, is that you can only do so many of them because it costs so much money to get um, that particular issue on the ballot. It costs a lot of money to do canvassing and get signatures, so... It's not an effective way to do all of government when you have to pass hundreds of bills a year. But Mm it it could give us some leeway to bring people together, because right now partisanship is just shutting minds off.
0: We have a very strong uh, system here of initiatives in in Arizona, but the, the legislature has found ways to undo whatever the people pass i mean it, it it it's astonishing and i guess it's a um, reflection of human cleverness that they can undo a clear statement by a vast majority of the people and just rewrite it so that uh, so that things don't exist that were were meant to exist so yes that's one thing i think that troubles the and and um, breaks up a little bit about the binary politics is these bills because they're they're um, one problem—they're not partisan. One problem is, of course, that a lot of the bills are misnamed and are actually the exact opposite of what they say. So, a yeah. voter expansion bill is actually a voter suppression bill. You know, so there is that that issue. But I—I I think in in the end, I agree with you. I think that they—they they are of a positive um, break in some of this binary party uh, politics.
2: Yeah, they're just um, one little ray of hope. We still have a lot of uh, other issues to work through, though that they won't be able to fix.
1: So, what does this mean, Ross? We've identified this great divide between rural and urban areas. We have very different voting um, uh, pra- uh, um, uh, habits, um, party line. What do you? So, we've identified this. How do you see? us moving forward with a little more meeting in the middle?
3: Yeah.
2: um, Well, for the foreseeable future, I don't know if there will be much meeting in the middle, um, uh, unfortunately. Um, I think one of the the biggest things that could help uh, bring some sanity is – content moderation on social platforms.
3: Mm-hmm. Now,
2: that isn't related directly to the political process necessarily, but I don't think we can deny the influence these companies have had on our country's politics. And
1: um, Do you think it's, it's changed since, uh, you know, some of the, uh, you know, Trump being deplatformed off of some of the major uh, platforms? Do you think uh, that's helped
2: or hurt? Um, you know, I have mixed feelings about the Trump thing because I I do worry that applying that too broadly could turn into censorship um, that would be draconian. But it probably helped manage some misinformation in the near term. Um, My bigger issue isn't even so much with allowing him to be there or not. It's that um, they could control how viral something goes and Mm. they they need to not have an incentive structure where um, the most um, extreme statement is the one that gets rewarded, and, and that's just been such an issue for, for Facebook and Google and, and Twitter. Um, we we often find ourselves uh, in these debates online, um, discussing the most ridiculous stances because that's what's gone viral, and um, they they don't have to have it be that way. And it, it wasn't always that way either. Right. I mean. Uh, Facebook of like 12 years ago was a much politer place than it is today. Um, yeah. They've become so um, enamored with the ad revenue they get from that attention that um, they've become uh, reliant upon it. It's like a monster that's grow- got its own mind. Yeah. So and- um, they-, they need to reform um, what people, like, yeah, they need to reform uh, some truth and accuracy needs to be embedded, but also... Um, just on what kind of hosts are incentivized.
1: Right. Well, I know personally, being someone that likes to see all the sides and see what everyone's saying, I I feel like I'm someone like me is being punished with this deplatforming and and censoring and people moving to other platforms. Um, and yet, you have hate speech. You have plans to storm this or or do this. It's it's really interesting how social media can be a tool or you know our our worst enemy. In well, your, so much
2: of it is uh, spread by anonymous accounts, too. I mean, mm-hmm. if people had to put their names to everything they said. Right. You, you, you have uh, people who just, like, they hide their identity and they have some, you know, uh, really long name with a fake avatar. And it's it's easy to say hateful things when you have to bear no consequences for it. But mm-hmm. if you had to put your, your face and your name to it, um, I think a lot of those ridiculous statements would vanish because there'd be repercussions for people who act like that.
0: Uh, in the early days of the internet uh, before we even had the world wide Web, there were all these discussion groups and stuff and so um, i 'd give you a, a a silly example that but no, maybe not for example, people who are interested in nordic religion you 're living in a town in in oklahoma there 's no one to discuss your Your views or interests in that, and what happened when the internet came in and we had all these news groups they were called and discussion groups is that people connected up with people with similar interests very far away. It changed something the fact that all these special interest groups could now talk to each other and meld, and that people from that who were isolated say you were interested in in uh, you know in, in, um, sending a probe to Mars. That was your big focus. Suddenly, they had all these people you could talk to about and feedback. So we were very, very, I, I have to say, these uh, early adopters of the Internet, we were very positive. We thought, wow, this will get around the big media. This will get around the big money. People will have a chance to say what they want and uh, connect up with other people. And we saw it as a almost counter to a, a kind of an economic establishment not unfriendly but but a, just a different world and then we watch it gradually um, change shift evolve into what we see today and uh, I think that you're right I don't think people would ever talk to somebody like that um, if they were face to face the other thing I'll say because I'm I'm older that I remember one time, a um, particularly beautiful woman, well educated. Her boyfriend had just graduated from Yale Law School, um, top of the, and I was over at their house apartment with a friend of mine who, she was his sister's roommate, and and they were deeply racist and they told racist jokes, and I think that you know i i looked at her and in this case it was how beautiful she was and how how her boy how well educated her boyfriend was and they had racist views that you could have found in the the worst parts of like mississippi much more refined but still there and i realized that maybe these people were actually nice people 90 90% of the time but that they had these 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 darker sides of their personality, and it looks to me and what you and Ho are saying is that 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 one of the problems we have we saw this as positive is that the the darker sides of the personality the angry sides uh emerge, and so uh, a person who seems perfectly like a really good church going person is saying all these violent uh, uh, racist things, so it's the internet has turned out to be very much a mixed bag. You guys are oh, seeing it a mixed now. Bag. Yeah, uh,
2: and, what's unfortunate though is those social platforms so much, um, you know, they're incentivizing that dark side. Though you mentioned, <laughs> like that, that other part of their personality isn't what's going to be highlighted when they post something.
1: And I think beyond personality, these are just ideas that get passed from generation to generation. In a small, you know, in a rural area, you're not going to get a lot of change if we're just kind of passing along the same ideology from generation to generation and people still aren't leaving small towns. You know, I, I think rather than, you, it, breaking it down to be, people being angry. I think we just have a matter of this is just what people have been taught and what they continue to believe because they haven't been, you know, shown otherwise or they don't experience anything if they're not leaving their small town. So it's really we, we've got to start you know, this. We could start a whole other topic on this about how we just need to also change our education system, you know, what we're teaching our kids. And uh, it's also a familial thing. You know, people
0: need to start. Shifting what we're what, what teaching our I, kids. What I see if 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 the shadow side of people, and we all have it, has been amplified by mm-hmm. the media. Mm-hmm. The positive side seems to me could also be be amplified. Mm-hmm. The compassionate side. Mm-hmm. The the good works that churches do in in third world and so forth and so on. It's just a very complex pattern. It's hard for me to understand how we got into a situation where it's the shadow side. Well, Ross, joy talking to you. We're beginning to run out of time. I've got a couple of uh, announcements. Any last thoughts for our listeners?
3: Oh,
2: um, no. I, I guess last thought I would just say is that, um, you know, whether you're from a city or you're in a rural area, um, someone who's disagreeing with you may... Be coming to their conclusion not because they're inherently unreasonable, but they just may be reinforced much differently by the environment they live in. Uh I think it's easy to lose sight of that.
1: You know, and just here in Yavapai County, you know, I've been working alongside, or for about a year, I worked alongside a lot of people that live here in rural Yavapai County who, you know, I didn't know their political views. I didn't know how they voted. We were working on a common goal. And then when election season hit, it was interesting to see how the same people had very different ideologies, different beliefs, and it suddenly became something that we were discussing only because we were involved on a very grassroots level. We got involved with our local politics. We got involved with uh, development issues, and so I think that's the start, is that people really start uh, getting connected on the things that affect us all, you know, people living in rural area or urban area. There are things that we have in common that we can work together on and hopefully start maybe shifting our perspective.
0: Um, next week we have uh, Sasha Bromsky on. He's written brilliantly about uh, rural poverty and uh, poverty in america in general but uh, sasha and my conversation uh, which we pre-recorded is uh, uh, really about the soft long-term effects of covid on consciousness and we if you grew up and when i did uh, the nuclear war overhung your consciousness somewhere mm. in the background some people were affected much more than others and um, but that happened. So I think it's a really interesting discussion. Uh, it went a very different direction than we planned to have mm-hmm. uh, either one of us. Uh, Democrats of the Red Rocks, one of our longtime supporters, um, is going to have their breakfast on March 18th, which is not far from now. And the discussion is about sustainability, red state and blue state. And um, they have a, a couple of different um, uh, speakers. They'll contrast climate Im- innovations happening in California and uh, with our own state legislature, which should be interesting because their take on this is different. Um, so that looks like a really interesting program. Go to the DOOR website and... Um, it's um and they'll have the information on how to get there. Door does not have live breakfasts still because of covid, but it it has really interesting zoom breakfast. We want to thank uh, you have a uh, by party democrats for supporting us. Uh we need your fo- uh uh help folks. So if you go to our website, we have a little donation button. We really uh, would appreciate uh, your support. Uh, we've lost two of our um largest supporters um, recently in the in the last month. And mm-hmm. so a uh, democratic perspective for the first time actually finds itself in. It. It's a little bit of economic difficulty. Uh, we could use your help. Um, all our shows, and we have like almost 10 years of shows, are available on our website, dvid.org. Yeah. Thanks for being with us, Ross. Goodbye, folks. Thank you very much. been listening to Democratic Perspective, brought to you by the Verde Valley Independent Democrats, a weekly talk show focusing on the political issues facing the Verde Valley, Sedona, Northern Arizona, and our nation at large. Catch us every Monday morning after the 8 a.m. news right here on AM 780 KAZ. It's beautiful out there, folks. Have a great day.